Chapter Seven of A Woman's War by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. Roxton, that little red town under a June sky, looked like a ruby strung upon the silver thread of a river and set in a green hollow of the hills. As yet, the enterprising builder had not stamped the mark of the beast glaringly upon the place and the quaint outreachings of the town were suffered to dwindle through its orchards into the june meadows where the deep grass was slashed and webbed with gold the hills above were black with pine thickets that took fire with many a dawn and sunset and to the north great beech woods hung like purple clouds across the blue the most miserly of mortals might have warmed with the ridge view from marley down southward a violet haze of hills larchwoods golden spired in glimmering green valleys bluff knolls massive with many oaks waving fields blue smoke from a few scattered cottages from marley down with its purple heather billowing between the pine woods like some tyrian sea the road curled to the red town sleeping amid its meadows mrs betty steele was at least an aesthetician and her eyes roved pleasurably over the woods and valleys as she drove in her smart dog-cart over marley down she had been ridding her conscience of a number of belated country calls with a friend miss gerrity beside her a plump little person in a pink frock there was a certain cottage on marley down that betty steele had coveted for months an antique gem oak-panelled brick-floored with great brown beams across the ceilings betty steele had the woman's greed for the possession of pretty things the house in st antonia's square seemed too large and cumbersome for her at times perhaps it was something of a mausoleum holding the ashes of a dead desire often she wearied of it and the endless domestic details and longed for some nook where her restless individualism could live in its own atmosphere a glazier was tinkering at one of the cottage casements when mrs betty drove up the grass track between sheets of glowing gorse a pine wood backed the cottage on the west in front before the little lawn a white fence linked up two banks of towering cypresses mrs betty drew rein before the gate and called to the man who was re-leading the casement frames i hear the cottage is to let can you tell me where mr pilgrim the owner lives somewhere on the down is it not the man an unpretentious wet-nosed creature crossed the grass plot wiping his hands on a dirty apron mr pilgrim just had an offer miss has he well we're doing the repairs i've heard that mrs murchison of roxton have taken it dr murchison's wife the man nodded how utterly vexatious i suppose mr pilgrim would not sell don't know miss i ain't the authority to say parker steele's wife flipped her horse up with the whip and turned back to the main road a woman with a grievance her companion in pink offered sympathy with a twitter being of the steele faction she was wise as to the friction between the households and a friend's grievance has always an element of wickedness for a woman how very annoying dear mrs betty waved her whip i have had that cottage in mind for over a year 
"'Someone must have told the selfish wretch that I was after it.' "'Strangely like spite, dear,' cooed the dove in pink. "'I wonder what the Murchisons want with the place. "'To make a summer beer-garden for their brats, perhaps.' "'Marley Down's so bracing. "'I hear Jim Murchison has been overworking himself. "'Probably he intends spending his weekends here.' "'Rather curious.' Miss Gerrity's blue eyes were too shallow for the holding of a mystery. "'I can't see anything strange in it, Betty. Jim Murchison has that assistant of his, finicking little fellow in glasses, with a neck like a giraffe's. Strange that they should have snapped up your particular cottage.' "'Oh, that's just like Kate Murchison,' and Mrs. Betty's brown eyes sparkled. Hatred, like love, is a transfiguration of trifles, and nothing is too paltry to be registered against a foe. Parker Steele's wife drove home in the most unenviable of tempers, untouched by the scent of the bean-fields in bloom, or by the flash of the river through the green of June. She rattled down the steep hill into Roxton Town at a pace that made Miss Gerrity wince. Metaphorically, Betty Steele would have given much to have had her bit in Catherine Murchison's mouth and to have treated her to a taste of her nimble whip. Leaving Miss Garrity at the end of Queen's Walk, by the old Jacobean market-house, Mrs. Steele drove home alone, to find some half-dozen letters waiting for her, the midday post that she had missed by lunching with Mrs. Feverel of the Cedars. She shuffled the letters irritably through her hands like a pack of cards, her eyes sparkling into sudden vivacity, as a foreign envelope showed among the rest. The letter bore the Egyptian sphinx and pyramids, and the familiar writing of a friend. The letter lay unopened in her lap a while, as she sat by the open window of the drawing-room, and looked out over the beds that were gorgeous with the flare of oriental poppies. The lawn, studded with standard roses, swept to the trailing branches of an Indian cedar. Rhododendrons were still in bloom in the little shrubbery under the rich green shade shed by two great oaks. She tore open the envelope at last, having lingered like one who shirks the reading of news long waited for. The familiar squirrel of the man's handwriting made her smile, bringing back memories of a first serious affaire de coeur with the quaint grotesqueness of the foolish past. She remembered the thin, raw-boned youth with the red mouth and the strenuous eyes who had kissed her one night after a river-party. He was still vivid to her, even to the recollection how his boating-shirt had slipped a button and given her a glimpse of a hairy chest. What a little fool she had been in those days! Mrs. Betty was not the slave of sentiment, and Surgeon Major Shackleton had slipped with his somewhat strenuous love-making into the past. She still had occasional letters from him, and from other sundry friends, letters that she always showed her husband. Parker Steele was not a jealous being. He was mildly pleased by the conviction that he was still envied in secret by a bevy of old rivals. "'Dear Betty!' Mrs. Steele made a little grimace as she pictured the number of dear Bettys who had probably drifted within the sphere of Charlie Shackleton's passion for romance. She skipped through the letter with watchful eyes, ignoring the Surgeon Major's bantering persiflage, the familiar jibes of an old friend. It was on the fourth page that she unearthed the news she delved for, tangled beneath the splutterings of an execrable pen. 
"'I think you asked me in your last letter "'whether I knew a fellow named Murchison at St. Peter's. "'Haven't you mentioned the creature to me before? "'I remember Jim Murchison just as you describe him, "'a solid, brown-faced six-footer, "'one of those happy-go-lucky beggars "'who seem ready to punch creation. "'I left the place two years before he qualified. "'He had brains, but if my pate serves me, "'he was the sworn slave of a drug we catalogue as C2H5OH. Not a bad sort of fool, but bibulous as blotting paper. Funny he should have turned up your way and married Kate of the golden hair. Mark this private and let my friend Parker deal with the above formula. Glad to hear that he is raking in the guineas. The letter ended with a few personal paragraphs that Mrs. Betty hardly troubled to read. She crossed the hall to her husband's study, hunted out a textbook on chemistry from the shelves, and proceeded with much patience and deliberation to unearth the scientific hieroglyph the surgeon major's letter contained. She found it at last, and smiled maliciously at its vulgar triteness. C2H5OH. Ethyl alcohol, commonly known as alcohol, a generic term for certain compounds which are the hydroxides of hydrocarbon radicals the active principle of intoxicating liquors mrs betty put the book back on the shelf and buttoned mr shackleton's letter into her blouse there was a queer glitter in her eyes a spiteful sparkle of satisfaction she went back to the drawing-room and seating herself at the piano played mendelssohn's spring song with fine verve and feeling her husband found her in a brilliant mood that night at dinner. She looked sleek and handsome, blood in her cheeks and mischief in her eyes. Mrs. Betty, at her best, could be a very inflammatory and sensuous creature, like a Greek nymph taken from some Bacchic vase. The latest news, Parker. The Murchisons have snapped up my cottage on Marley Down. The dickens they have! You don't appear jealous. No, I have a forgiving heart. The place is like a hermitage. What can the Murchisons want with such a cottage? Her husband, cold intellectualist, warmed to her beauty as to true Falernian. Am I a crystal-gazer? Read me the riddle. Parker Steele laughed, and looked at her with a slight loosening of the mouth. Riddle-dee-dee, you women are always analysing imaginary motives. Murchison has been looking run to death, lean as an overdriven horse, I don't blame him for wishing to munch his oats in rustic seclusion. Mrs. Betty bubbled over with sparkles of intuition. What does C2H5OH stand for, Parker? C2H5OH? What on earth have you to do with chemical formulae? Answer my question. Gin, if you like. The stuff the blue ribbonites battle with. End of chapter 7